Adcom presents the A-Game podcast, hosted by Jeff Culleton and Nadia Shiner. Today, we continue with part three of our four-part series on NFTs. In episode one, we covered the basics of what they are. In episode two, we investigated how they can be used in marketing. And today, we take a step or 10 back for a bird's-eye view of how NFTs will live in the metaverse. We'll answer questions like, what is the metaverse? And what does this mean for the universe? With us once again is G.I. Zaratsian, founder of Fandom. Episode three of our, our series on NFTs and marketing with uh, G.I. Zaratsian, CEO and co-founder of, of Fandom. Um, just a quick recap, because we before we get too comfortable and start riffing as we're known to do. Um, you know, episode one, we started talking about fundamentals, definitions, what are the building blocks uh, of NFTs. Episode two, we started to get a little bit more into how brands are using them. Uh, what are the early outputs we're seeing? Um, some of the, which I think is really neat stuff, some of the misconceptions and you know early on ill-defined things that are going to end up being really foundational. Um, and in episode three, we are going to get hyper abstract and we're going to talk about NFTs in the metaverse. And so I, so GI, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Your hair looks spectacular. Thank you. You did Jealous. get a haircut, didn't you? I got a haircut. Yeah, yeah yep. you know, we're not I taping. We're not video today, but you look. It's the summer haircut. Sure. I mean, we wish we were. This is my summer haircut as well. So, um, but it, I think we want to start off, you know, with those foundational building blocks. We've actually gotten a lot of great feedback on on just the defining what it is because there's so much kind of space around that already. But, and, and Nadia, maybe I, you, you're the one who's done the academic research on this. But, you know, as we start to talk about the metaverse, what is it? it? Does it in fact have a definition? Is it still, is the definition still evolving? But like, you know, people in theory understand the metaverse is a thing, but they don't understand what it is. So as I understand it, and GI, you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, um, it's an online virtual world in which I can have an avatar and then I can do things using my avatar um, I can buy things sell things create things build things destroy things and other people and other people like um, are affected by my actions that is how the metaverse exists today versus you know maybe five, 10 years ago where I would go into a world, have an avatar, do something, but it wouldn't affect other people. It's, yes, yes, you're, you're right. But that's very similar too to like video games, right? Like what you just described, if I didn't know you were talking about the metaverse, you could be talking about Fortnite, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Dropped into a world, I can do things, I can interact, I can buy stuff. But what we're talking about with metaverse, it's different than a video game. It has sort of like unbounded action of what you can do right? So you can buy things with real money that you own now as an NFT. And it's pretty infinite. And it's kind of scary at first because when someone says describe and define the metaverse, there's different versions of that definition. What Facebook is doing versus what uh, the sandbox is doing are two very distinct different things, right? Facebook is looking at it from how do we get people to connect in a virtual environment where they can conduct business, right? In virtual meetings. So we could be having this podcast virtually at our home, but put on our you know, Facebook Oculus headset and look around and see each other and be in this room. 
And this room is just a 3D representation yep. in the virtual world. So it can be a, a different perspective based on who's leading the charge for that metaverse. So I, I think this is one of the things that people have a tough time overcoming at first. Like, what's the access point? Is the access point have to be virtual reality? And is there one? Is there one metaverse? There is not one. It, it, it's funny. So I'll, I was just upstairs uh, checking in, getting my uh, parking uh, pass validated. Thank I don't you. want you to have to pay. Thank you. And they're like, what's the topic? Metaverse. Oh, like Ready Player One. Yep. And if you, there's a book, by the way, which mm -hmm. I've not read because I haven't read a book since Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. I'm not um, good at that either. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Even like like business books, I've, I've gotten really bad at. Yes. But By Ernest Klein. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. See, this is why we have yeah, the educational historian uh -huh. with us today. But <laughs> She's the foundation of all of this right. at this point. <laughs> She's the validation point. She's our, yeah. Exactly. But when you think metaverse, like I think people are quickly like, oh, Ready Player One. Or if you're a little bit older, you go Matrix. Or if you're older than that, you go Tron. Right. So there's been these movies that have kind of put this perception of what the metaverse is supposed to be in our brain. The reality is it's none of those things today. It's just not. So when you ask, like, what's the access point? Most of it is going onto your laptop, going to the sandbox and viewing it from your screen and then just manipulating like you can move and turn and use your keyboard and your, your mouse to go different places and teleport into different areas. But you're kind of just running around like without purpose. Still like a video game in many capacities. Yeah, and you see like other people kind of running around. They've got like a little thing over their head that says like their avatar name and you can, I guess, interact with them and you can go into buildings of, you know, where people have built them on land that they own. It's not this like ready player one experience where you have the headset on and you've got this full bodysuit where you can feel in the metaverse. Now, don't get me wrong, some of that technology is being developed and there's a lot of like really cool sensor technology that will eventually make it to where a metaverse can feel that way. We're just not even close at this point. And that would require like the the goggles and all that stuff, right? Virtual experience. Yeah, the ver the, the goggles, the headphones, the, the mic, suit. the suit, mm -hmm. like we're not there. Let me, so I always, this actually ties into, I think your, your analogy about Tron and the matrix and stuff like that. You know, we've, we've, we've hit these kind of points before where we can view it, but really we're just still really out of reach of it. One of the things that I think will make the metaverse quote unquote move forward is when something is not Oculus when something is more Google Glass. So Google Glass, really interesting. It's, it's 20 years ago now, maybe looks stupid while you were doing it, but like there was a, you know, a real augmented reality idea behind it. Didn't have the computing power or the applications to support it, but like, do you think that when it becomes less of a full body suit where you look ridiculous and more really you're put into kind of an, an, an environment where you don't look ridiculous, that it'll gain more adoption. I, I do. And it's funny you bring up Google Glass. I'm watching the um, uh, the Uber show right now on, on Super Showtime. Pumped. So am Super I. pumped. Yeah. And, uh, He's not a very nice guy, Travis. No, no. It, it's, a fan, it's a fantastic story. But in, in the show, uh, Sergey Brin was on there and he was talking about how like, yeah, Google Glass, I was kind of a fail, right? Well, way too early. Yeah. But you bring up a good point though, too. Like, what we just described before with the metaverse, it's more of the virtual reality, VR. And I don't think enough people know how to make the distinction between VR and AR. So 
VR is like you're immersed into another world, right? You've got the headset on, you can, you know, I think there's like people can go and see what it was like at 9-11 being on the ground floor. You've got the VR headset on, you can look all around you and you can see things experiencing right in front of you, but it's virtual. Augmented reality, AR, is in the real world, if I use my phone or lenses of some kind and I see real structures in front of me, but now there's a Pokemon jumping around or something that's not there in real life, but I see it through the lens of augmented reality. So those are two like very distinct things. The metaverse can ultimately, I think, support both concepts. Um, and some of that's being done today with AR, and I find it fascinating using NFTs. Like, I'll, I'll hit on Pokemon Go. It's not totally metaverse, but it Pokemon Go, when that game was created, it was way ahead of the curve. Geotagging location, you could go and find these like loot boxes, and it just got people out moving. And I love that concept yeah. for gamers, for people that like to collect, for people that want to experience adventure. You can do that with NFTs, and there's companies that are doing that today, again, not fully metaverse. And I think I think that's what's going to help with adoption is like, let me interact with this in real life. Let me see. So I own an NFT. It's We talked about this on a previous, like, what can I do with it, right? It's in this little wallet on my phone or on my laptop. And we talked about give me access and all that. But can I see it now mm-hmm. in real life? Like, how cool is that? Put on, or even through my phone as my AR lens, can I hold my phone up to a various location and see my NFT dancing around or something yeah. or see it now on a wall framed in a, in a in a portrait? Yeah. And I think that becomes a bridge for people to see the practical use cases of this. And then now how does that translate to virtual reality? How does that translate to this concept of being submersed into the metaverse where I do have the goggles on and I'm looking all around me and I am my NFT now and I get to experience things through the lens of that NFT. Well, you, you can start to see the pathway where things are going to change. It's, it's multi-pronged. It's, it, it's part demographic. Youth has much more comfort with this. And so as they come along, adoption will be higher. VR is little bit more end game for most people. AR is more tangible. It's easier for you, you know, your brain to go, I can use my phone. My phone is a known entity to me. Oh, once I get comfortable with that, the next piece of it will be this. I remember some of the early AR stuff that I thought was interesting from a business standpoint was, you know, faucet companies, faucet companies coming out and saying, oh, you want a new faucet? Cool. Hold your phone up in front of your existing faucet and then go through our catalog of, you know, digital overlays that you could put on and see which one you like, you know, that that's where you start to look at, oh, that's, that's, I don't have to go to Home Depot. Oh, hey, Home Depot, why don't you furnish me that ability? And so, you know, little by little, by the time our children are in their twenties, you know, 10, 15 years, that's, that's going to be so just easy for them to so do. Basic. So basic, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, on that concept, it's, it's, you're right. And like, I think, you know, faucets, paint color, right? Home furnishings. That's, that's been, that's, that's happened now for a few years, right? I think Wayfair, you can go online and you can say, I like that couch. Let me see what it looks like in my living room. Yeah. Right. Like really cool tech. And we all use, I mean, most of us use Snapchat, right? Like 
there's a ton of AR filters in there. Let me put that cat on my head or <laughs> do, do the face that makes me look like a different gender or different age. Like, that's all AR. Don't it's, paint companies do this too? You can see what yeah. your room could look yeah. like. Yeah, Sherwin-Williams already does. You can see what yeah. a new haircut would look like. There are places, you know, you could If you're GI, make, not yeah. if you're me. <laughs> yeah. But so, so these things are being done, right? <laughs> like they're, they're being done at scale and bringing it into the NFT world is, is, is not that difficult. It's, and it, it's being done today, right? There's, I don't know if we talked about this in the last one, but there's a company called Artifact and it's spelled really weird, RTK, whatever, FKT, I don't know, I can't spell. Um, neither can they. Neither can they, apparently, because it's pronounced artifact. No offense, no offense. Well, no offense taken, because they <laughs> sold to Nike after two years of being in business for a boatload of cash, because they built and created digital streetwear, digital shoes that people would collect and buy. And we talked about this, you're, you're, you're a sneakerhead, right? Correct. You just don't own any virtual ones. But like, cool, I got virtual sneakers, what can I do with it? Well, you can hold your phone to your foot and you can see that virtual sneaker on your foot and you can take a picture of your virtual kicks, right? Oh. On your body. Mm -hmm. And that's another practical use case, not totally metaverse, but you see where this is going. Now that I can do that, cool, I've got my avatar now in the metaverse. I wanna dress them up. I care about my appearance in the real world, but also in the digital world. And kids do this all day, every day with skins. I want to put on my artifact, Nike, whatever combo sneakers in the metaverse, and I want that swag. I want people to know that I have clout. So let me ask you a question because, you know, as, as metaverse is something that is an evolutionary definition, I, of, I, I think it's very interesting when we start going down these pathways of things that become culturally significant terms and phrases like metaverse to the point where the holding company for Facebook is now meta. I mean, these things become part of the fabric. Web3, Web3.0 is becoming something people use without definition. It's the description of an idea or forward movement or, you know, whatever progress versus a, like a hardcore definition of something. What do you view it as? And is it, is it the same as the metaverse? Is it something that powers the metaverse? What, how do you view it? With regard to web three and, and its relationship with the metaverse? Yeah. It's, it's a really good question because, um, look, it's a Venn diagram, right? And Venn diagrams don't always theoretically have to overlap. So I think it depends on the use case. Like what is Facebook meta? What is their metaverse going to be? I don't know that it's going to be Web3. Facebook is as centralized of a company as you can have. Web3 is the opposite of centralization. It's, it's not the point of the metaverse is that it's all decentralized? Well, but that, not necessarily because the metaverse concept came before NFTs, right? Like, and, and you're gonna tell us with your historical definition of where metaverse <laughs> came from at some point, right? But like that they don't they didn't come together yet and i don't think and they're starting to right they're starting to in some practical instances like in like in sandbox sandbox is is a metaverse where you can buy and sell land and you can construct and you can have your your little roblox looking character run around but what facebook's going to do i don't know that that's going to be web3 and so i don't think web3 has to totally define metaverse mm -hmm. i think metaverse needs to determine how much Web3 incorporation they want to have. Because yeah. as a consumer, if I'm spending, just like gaming today, I'm spending time in Fortnite and I've spent a lot of my mom and dad's credit card money on these skins. And, 299 here, 299 right. there, just paper cuts, man. Paper yeah. cuts. But you know, if, if Epic Games said, nah, we're gonna shut it off. 
we're done. Yeah. We want to we want to do a a kitten game next, right? Crap. Like I've invested my my life into this thing. Yeah. And and to our people that are doing that, like it's gone. Where in the metaverse, if it's really attached to Web three concepts and infrastructure, that's self sustaining. And then now imagine like governance and ownership, not just of your assets and game. I don't know how much I want to talk about DAOs, like decentralized autonomous organizations, but you better believe that the one the metaverses that roll out that are the most Web three enabled will eventually be DAO operated, which means. Whoever is part of that, whoever's been there the longest, is going to have the most sort of governing shares over how to operate this thing, the direction it takes, the longevity of that metaverse, because they've got the most invested. So, something that I struggle with: so decentralization as a concept, and we we get to see a more tangible, ironically said, piece of that in cryptocurrency. You know, all of these cryptos come up, but when do they create, when do they really become useful at scale is when they have mass adoption, when larger organizations will accept them, when nations will regulate them. So like, so kind of the opposite of the intent when they were first built, uh, that, that decentralization and that oversight. For the metaverse, you know, there is huge build and computational power needed in order to not only figure these things out, but then take them to the world, server space, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. Is it is it going to be a necessity that some of these major organizations like Meta, in fact, do the groundwork necessary in order to make these things a reality and scalable? Or is it something that can happen more on a decentralized small developers building onto an open source structure to eventually build the thing that gets the scale. It's, it, I mean, look, Facebook will will do it. They'll scale it. They've got the budget. They've got the the, the talent to do that. Um, and it, it will be adopted, right? Um, will it be adopted within the Web3 space? I doubt it. Or not at that level of scale within the Web3 community. But to your point, the sort of web three methodology is that more open source framework. Hey, we're building this thing. It's called sandbox. And, you know, it kind of looks like crap because it's like blocky looking characters, but like people appreciate that. Great. This is like freedom, right? Freedom of expression, freedom of practical use cases of my NFTs. I can buy land. There's inherent value attached to that land, just like there is in the real world. Even though I'm sure there's going to be some pundits that are like, why would you buy virtual real estate? It doesn't make sense. Well, why would you buy real real estate, right? Like, there's a lot of reasons that you want to invest in something. Um, so I do think the the sort of decentralized concept leads to open source frameworks of building on, but that's powered in a lot of different ways. Like Sandbox didn't come out with, hey, we got a hundred million dollars in capital on day one, and we're going to go invest into all the scalable technology so that we can eventually make that back over time. They went out, built a, a concept, likely with as less money as they could, and they rolled out a token. Yeah, they did an ICO, right? Or now we call them IDOs, but they rolled out a token so you can buy sand on uh, Coinbase or FTX wherever you want to, and that's the currency that now powers that little micro economy. And so as people are buying in and out of of sand and they're using it for like the in sort of metaverse currency of transacting, you create more value there. And that becomes the value that they have to invest back into building these things. And then eventually they start to detach themselves from this thing. And they start to make this more of the 
the decentralized autonomous organization. So users that have X amount of sand, X amount of land, X amount of assets in this sort of metaverse construct now become the real owners of Sandbox and they govern the direction of it. They make sure it's supported. They make sure it's scalable. It's an economy, right? It truly is an economy. Okay, so there are two questions I have. One is, so how is it different than from just how is it different than from our, the kids who are playing, who are doing all this stuff in their own world on a on a video game? They're doing the same thing, right? They're buying things and selling things, and but you're saying Epic Games could shut it down, and then you're where you're stuck. Yeah, and that's that's the difference from centralization versus decentralization, okay. and okay. and the layer below that from the consumer level, the buyer level. I actually own and can prove based on the blockchain an NFT that integrates now with the sandbox. Okay, got it. Right. Second question, could the metaverse economy like Sandbox and others one day exceed the value of the real world economy? You had that written down. I don't yeah. know. I, so, yeah, clarification. I'm not an economist. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a communications I. major because I, was I didn't t- like I was math. told you were an economist. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, I so I suppose the answer is yes in theory. Theoretically, yeah. right. sure. My, microeconomics okay. kicked my butt in college. Um, I don't know. I mean, theoretically, sure, because there's no limit to how many metaverses you can have, right? There's there's a limit to how many worlds we actually live in from a physical standpoint. There's one, right? We have one Earth. I mean, I know Elon's got plans, but we have one Earth and there's restraints, right? There's real physical restraints. You can't make more land. So when people use the phrase the metaverse, that's incorrect. It's not the metaverse, it's a metaverse. It's like saying the social media, right? Mm -hmm. Well, which Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Mm -hmm. Snapchat, 11 other things that are out there, right? You're right, like the metaverse is more of a concept, whereas like, okay, now you have to define which metaverse you're referring to, right? I keep talking about the sandbox, that's just one example. Meta's gonna build theirs, fun fact, Board Ape Yacht Club is building a gaming metaverse. Yeah. But you think about, so social is a great example of what maturity is going to look like in these because Instagram, Facebook, uh, TikTok all interject content into each other now. And so they want to play where the audience is. They want to be able to say to a user, hey, user, let's make this user experience really easy and you can broadcast your original content across these places boom, 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 hit this checkbox and then you can do it. So, you know, there's, there, while decentralization is um, the, conceptually where it starts, there had interdependency happens. Interdependency happens because, you know, we, people want to magnify their impact. They want to magnify their clout. They want to, they, they want to show their and build their audience in multiple different places by doing the minimum level of work. So, you know, I, I just, it's so cool to see how it is evolving, but it's also, you know, brands, it, when you kind of tie it back together with, I guess, the origin of why we talk about it is, are we going to co-opt it? Right. Are we going to make it just... It's just going to turn into uncool, (laughs) and like, is it just going to turn into the most, you know, the newest output of our ability to try and get in front of your eyes? Are you going to buy a Big Mac in the metaverse? Right? I mean, you might. Will you be able to order your Big Mac in the metaverse and pick it up at a physical location? Mm. Yes, in some capacity, if you spend a lot of your time 
on your computer, on your phone, in an Oculus headset, and you get, um, uh, and you get, you know, hungry. Actually, it's it's more likely it'll get delivered to your door by uh, by Uber Eats than it will. But you, it'll just be another outlet um, for you to transact either in a digital or a physical world. Well, imagine retail shopping experiences, right? Like like we're kind of talking about a little bit with Orion McDonald's Big Mac, right? But Delicious. today, what what is the traditional retail shopping experience online? It's Amazon, right? You're buying most of your transactions through Amazon. Maybe you have a few specialty stores online that you shop from. And Amazon's, you know, made it a really convenient process, fast shipping, prime membership, prime wardrobe, prime everything, right? This is, just want to clarify, this would be a Web 2.0 experience. That's a Web 2 experience, right? Amazon today. Okay. Um, Imagine, what's your favorite store that you actually go into shop? Sorry, Nadia, calling you out. You got to Don't have that written written down in your notes, do you? No, I don't. (laughs) My favorite store. Nordstrom. Let's say Nordstrom. Let's say theoretically safe, safe option. Nordstrom, right? You said it, not I. And and Walmart's thinking this way, Mm -hmm. but like this isn't my novel idea. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wish it was, Um, and I had the capital to go build this business. But uh, imagine going to Nordstrom in the Nordstrom metaverse, right? Nordstrom's got a mall or shop inside of. The sandbox or inside of Decentraland, which is another metaverse. And I, and walk I access into it on my laptop. That's how yeah, I get you, to it? you can go on your laptop. Okay. Maybe <laughs> soon you can go on your headset and there you are walking around in there and you can physically see the clothes. You've got your avatar that's maybe your your body type and you can go and try it on in the metaverse virtual you know, fitting room. And you can see the price tags of these assets and you add them to your virtual cart that you can push or doesn't have to be. It just can be something that falls along with you. And you go and check out, you buy, and then they're shipped to your home two days later in the real world, right? All we're doing, like the back-end fulfillment of that didn't change, right? It's just you, instead of going to a website and scrolling this sort of flat 2D surface to buy, you know, find what you want, you're now submersed into there. And you get to experience shopping from home, but in more of like a, a tangible, even though it's not tangible, way. And Walmart, Walmart's working on this. They want you to go through their produce section. They want you to go through all these various parts of, of, of their big box store because it's massive. And they know that'll capture more people that might want to attempt this experience to shop and purchase things. And then from a business perspective, does that allow them across their real estate footprint to actually have less physical space, save more money, and and only have things in not only have things but have a a smaller shopping experience and then have warehousing experiences. Um, you know we see them popping up around. I mean everywhere. Just the ability to get things to you more quickly. So I, I don't know. For me, this just brings up questions about the what what it means to have what quality of life is. What is what is it's scary, right? Right. If I'm just shop, I, I'm shopping in a you know, web three world. And, um, I, there are fewer, you know, actual places to go and experience but, and touch. But and, we're already doing that, right? We're already doing that. When we log on to amazon.com, when you go to Nordstrom.com, I mean, e-commerce has been what, 20 years in the making now, right? So you're already doing that in a way. How much time are you spending searching for that outfit that you want? Right from your phone, and then maybe you go to the physical location to try something on and see it in real life. So you're already doing that. You're just talking about 
the user experience? Can we alter that user experience to make this more integrated into a traditional shopping experience? I understand. I, and, I, but, and I'm also saying that I think that the, the physical world has been changing over the last 10, 15 years in a way that I don't like. Yeah. I don't like that there are fewer people out and about. I don't, I mean, she forget- refers to herself as analog. <laughs> yeah, that's my middle name. <laughs> Um, you know, I don't. I don't like that the that the um, the actual physical landscape has been changing, and it sounds like would continue to change in a way that would feel almost like apocalyptic. I don't know. Well, it's a weird picture for me. That's the scary part. I think some people fear with the metaverse. And if you go back to the movies I reference, you go to Ready Player One, you go to the Matrix. What's the real world they live in? It's it's apocalyptic, mm-hmm. right? It's like devastation Mm -hmm. and the environment's bad and Mm -hmm. you don't want to be outside. So Mm -hmm. instead you suffocate yourself into the metaverse. Right. Um, You live in a pod. And I don't disagree with you. Like I, that part, I'm not gonna lie. It scares me. Like, are we really going to be like 10 years from now? We wouldn't be here in person filming this podcast. I mean, look, COVID gave us this experience of what it's like to be quarantined. And I think maybe some people are like, oh, this is great not to see people. But then some people were like, I need to get to the bar and have a drink with some friends and yes, any excuse that I can, maybe that's extroverts versus introverts, but I think what we've learned is we need a balance. Um, and you guys know and that. And the I question mean, is, would the experience of putting on your blah, whatever stuff and then going, um, your headset and then going virtually to a bar, you know, and having would that satisfy you in the same way that going to a real one would? So one of the beer brands did that around the Super Bowl, right? They had like a virtual bar experience where you could order like maybe it was a Miller Lite or something. Um, I, I don't I don't know what that's like because, I mean, I like real beer and I like to consume it and I like the, the sound the can makes when you open it. It's a ritual. It's yes. a ritual mm-hmm. and it's with your friends mm-hmm. and you can cheers and high five and, you know, you thrive off each other. But um, I, I do think that's a fear for a lot of people, though. And I, you get into kind of like the psychological impact of that, the, the mental health impact. You're, what if you're faced with the question, God, am I cooler and better in virtual reality in the metaverse than I am in real life? Yes. Like, Everybody is, Yes, right? <laughs> so where are you going to spend more of your time? Mm-hmm. Where you're more appreciated, where you're more, you know, loved and, but like, can that really persist? Right. Yeah. If you're, if you're, if you've got a VR head, 10 years from now, if your VR headset's on and you got the bodysuit and you're doing that more than you're seeing people IRL in real mm-hmm. life. That that part scares me. When we hit abbreviations like that, that's when it's time to pause. <laughs> so we're going to take a break here, uh, uh, wrap up episode three. Uh, when we come back, we're going to hit episode four, which I'm really excited about. So we're going to look at NFTs through the eyes of creators, how you do it, you know, foundationally getting up and running. And we're going to guinea pig with Nadia um, and ask some questions about that because I feel like this episode could easily be two parts because I my brain's just going in uh, 10 different directions right now. But uh, we'll be back with episode four. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to The A-Game, an Adcom production. Adcom is a marketing partner in Cleveland, Ohio, creating measurable returns for our clients. Like, follow, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and find us on your favorite social networks. 